welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Praise Him. All right, have a seat. Thank you, band. The Hulls and the add-ons. Or should I say Justin and the band. Or Tim and the rest of them or whatever. Thank you, all of you. Um, They do a great job. Can we give the band and the sound and our whole tech production team people a hand? Yeah, we really appreciate it. Ah, You come in, it's just a great atmosphere, isn't it? To, uh, just to come into God's house and uh, we, we were just reflecting on that the other day because we went away for a few days uh, but we didn't miss a Sunday because we went to visit Luke and Shelley, our son and daughter-in-law out at Orange. We went via Mudgee, lovely nice place, uh, rode push bikes out into the wineries, didn't taste any wine but did go to a winery that had a motorcycle museum so that was interesting and, um, and, and yes and I was waiting for Ruth, we were meeting for dinner and uh, you know, it's it's annoying when she's late, but the reason that she's late, you can't get angry with her because she's been witnessing to the lady in the street, you know? So that's like, well done, but annoying for me. Because I, you know, I wanted to, uh, so I couldn't really get an apology, you know, out of her. So um, now, oh, here I'm doing this thing. Here we go. Uh, Oh, and Joe referred to the Roman road of salvation. So two weeks ago in this series, I preached that message. You can get a copy of the um, uh, message on our podcast system or whichever way you get those uh, messages. Uh, and that's going through four different passages in the book of Romans as a way that you can use to help people understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Uh, and then Byron preached a fantastic message last week. Is he out with, he's out with kids. Uh, fantastic. What a great message, uh, again, in, on this theme. And you can, again, get that copy of that message and, and you'll be blessed by it. Um, Bill Wall, W-H-O-L, Bill Wall, uh, 20 years ago, was a money-obsessed American businessman uh, pursuing a jet-setting lifestyle, but he was terribly unhealthy Uh, overweight and uh, so much so uh, that his heart failed and his life was only saved by an operation that hooked him up to a temporary artificial heart in hospital and so he lay there waiting for a heart transplant. Meanwhile Michael Brady was a stuntman for Universal Studios. He was preparing to parachute onto the top of a train, but as he climbed up a ladder, he fell, hitting his head, and he died instantly. And his heart was donated, so Bill Wall was the recipient. Six months later, Bill received a letter from Michael Brady's family telling him about the original owner of the heart that he now had, including a picture of the 36-year-old stuntman. Bill said later, I looked at this picture at this incredibly good-looking, super-fit, super-athletic guy and I thought, are you kidding me? That's whose heart I got? I was an overweight guy pursuing a wild lifestyle. I was in terrible condition. But when he realised he had this new opportunity to live with this new heart and particularly the heart that he got, he changed his whole lifestyle. 
He improved his diet and he started exercising to the point that he started competing in swimming and cycling and running events and even won medals. And then he travelled to meet Michael's family and he learned that Michael was a man who had loved God and cared for people. Michael's brother Chris met him with a stethoscope and asked him if he could put it on Bill's chest so that he and his parents could hear Michael's heart still beating. Bill said, every day, all day, I thank God for Michael Brady. When I ride, when I work out, when I live, the biggest thing is to honour him. What a great story. A new heart changed his life. And it can change us too, spiritually. Because look what the Bible says. God promises this in the book of Ezekiel, in 36 verse 26. God said, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and it will, I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And the traditional rendering of that, as you may know, it says, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Isn't that awesome? So we're talking about shining our light sharing our faith, witnessing for Jesus. And it's always best when our hearts are hearts of flesh, hearts full of the love of God, yeah? Not driven by guilt or ambition or a sense of duty, but a a new heart that God's given us, one that's fallen in love with Jesus, that has the love of Jesus in us flowing out into the lives of other people, a heart that is pumping with the lifeblood of Jesus. And that's possible because Jesus came to fulfill that prophecy because that prophecy that Ezekiel gave was some 600 years before Jesus came. And it's about the new covenant that Jesus brought, sealed by his blood, a covenant of grace. And so we get this new heart, not because we deserve it, but we just get to trade in a heart that is crusty, dry, worn out, beaten up, hurt, pained, whatever, and it can be a heart of pumping God-blooded flesh, a wonderful heart, a heart that's after God and full of God's love for other people. And, uh, and, that, and notice also in that verse, it says, I'll give you a new spirit. And, uh, and that's, of course, what Jesus referred to in the core passage that I think Byron also referred to um, Last week uh, in this series, Acts chapter 1, I want to look at that passage. You probably know this. Um, this is talking from verse 3 onwards about Jesus. It says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, to the disciples, uh, and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Evidence for the resurrection, just on an aside, you know, you read historians and they'll say, if you really, really want to look at it, and some people have in a very sceptical sense, a number of people, journalist, um, Case for Christ, Lee Strobel, is it? I think he went off, is that his name? 
he went off, you know, to try and disprove Christianity. Uh, someone decades before him, uh, who, who moved the stone perhaps, I've forgotten the author, but anyway, there's a number of different uh, journalists over the years who have tried to disprove the, the faith, Christian faith, done the investigation and found all the historical records has been really supportive of the evidence uh, of the resurrection. And there's a little reference there that Jesus did appear to a number of people and there wasn't any evidence coming out at that time saying that it didn't happen or that these guys were lying. It was accepted. And so there's quite a few um, uh, proof, as it says there, that he was alive. Verse 4, on one occasion while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates that the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I just want you to notice a few things about this. Verse 6, notice the apostles' question. They gathered around and they said, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? The kingdom to Israel. Perfectly legitimate question because Jesus had come, he died, he'd been raised from the dead, but the Romans were still in charge and it was doing their head in because they wanted the kingdom of God to get rid of the Roman oppression. Uh, they hadn't fully grasped that the kingdom of God is spiritual and personal rather than just uh, physical and political, like the, the kingdom that they had uh, lived under with the Roman Empire. Um, but they're talking about things that were beyond their level of understanding. So Jesus responds by telling them effectively, guys, it's beyond your pay grade, this question. Don't worry about it. I want you to think about something else. What do people say these days? Stay in your lane. Jesus is basically saying, just stay in your lane. Uh, and what is that lane? Well, not to worry about God's timing and about what the kingdom isn't, but to, to stay in God's calling on your life, and that includes being a good representative of God, an ambassador of God, a witness for God, and that's what he was calling them to, revealing the kingdom of heaven here on earth, sharing our journey that we have with God with other people, and so others can find out about Jesus themselves. And so then you see this other link between verse 7 and 8. So, he, so they ask the question, he says, no, 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 don't worry about that. But, verse 8, you will receive power. So he's like, forget about that. Just think about what I'm saying here. I, I'm talking about waiting. I'm talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about this. You're going to get power. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to give you power. And then why? Because you're going to be witnesses. And so this is pretty high on God's priority list, isn't it? You know, like this is Jesus saying, there's a lot of things we could talk about. I am going to heaven. I'm not coming back this time. I'm really, this is second departure. I'm really going. Right? First time I died, I'm, raised, I'm here. But I'm really going back. A few weeks' time, it's all going to hit off. 
Holy Spirit's coming. It's, it's going to be wild. Just don't go anywhere, <laughs> you know. Watch this space. Guys, stay, wait. And he's getting him to focus on what's important. And what does he say? You're going to wait. You're going to get power. And why? You're going to be my witnesses. And then he goes. And so we need to consider that, don't we? What it means to be a witness and what that looks like and, and, and how we go about that. So I want to consider today the the what and the where and the how of being a witness for Jesus. So I want you to think about what a witness is. Uh, obviously, a witness is someone who knows something. Yeah, They don't just hear something secondhand and talk about it. They don't just refer to what somebody else said and then think that that might be their opinion. Or the, So a policeman comes to a car accident, hopefully no one here, but, you know, car accidents happen. I took Keelan to the wreckers to get a pit for his car the other day. And he's like, whoa, I said, let this be a lesson to you, son, you know. And there's all these wrecked cars. Whoa, look at this one. I'm like, yes, mate. They all have kamagatsa, uh, you know. And then we look up and the rack, this is a huge place. They get a rack, 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 rack. And up the top is a busted helicopter. I'm like, I don't want to ask about that one, you know, because I don't know if he walked away. I don't know how many people walk away from a broken helicopter crash. Uh, but, you know, if a policeman arrives on the scene of an accident and they say, all right, all right, what happened? Someone comes up and goes, yeah, okay, so this yellow car hit the blue car. All right, so how do you know? Oh, because John o told me that. What do you mean? Well, John has gone now, but he said that that guy said that he, that, oh, I'm not interested in you, am I? Where's John o? Well, he's gone. Or anyone else? Yeah, I saw what happened. Oh, okay. So you have a first-hand witness account. So we'll take your statement then, won't we? That's useful because it's authentic. It's personal. It's what they experienced. And so in the same way, you don't have to say what somebody else said. You don't have to be a theologian trying to regurgitate some weird, deep concept that you never quite understood anyway or, you know, go down some weird rabbit hole of doctrine about we just share what God's done in our life yeah and we've all got a story and we've all had an experience with God and that's all we have to do the witness doesn't have to do anything else Um, and notice Jesus didn't say you will go out witnessing or you will do the evangelism thing what does he say you will be my witnesses and don't we know this that life is all about being not just doing you know, that hopefully our doing flows from our being. Because if you do stuff that isn't you, that isn't how you are or what you're trying to be, it's inauthentic, it's difficult. But your doing is successful when it's really flowing from your being. You know, like I can try and fix things around the place, but it's better to get frosty, to fix a car or almost anything, you know. Something's broken around the church. Just don't go and fix it. Just frosty or someone you know because that's the way some people are they're just really handy they're really good with their you know handy man skills that's just how you know and so that flows so the doing flows from our being and so here Jesus is again saying look just be authentic you don't what did someone once say we don't we don't go to witness we witness as we go it's not something I have to go today right today I've put, put it in the diary I'm going out to witness you know, like working hard. To... So classic example of this authentic Christianity, you've probably heard of David Livingston. Uh, he was a famous missionary and explorer, went to Africa in the mid-1800s, and he went, <coughs> never drink water too quickly. 
I actually have a sign in our backyard <clears throat> that came originally from Roadworks. I had a teenage son. <clears throat> I won't mention which teenage son because he's no longer a teenager, so that's whittled it down to two because Keelan's still a teenager. So it wasn't Keelan. One of my other sons, who is no longer a teenager, arrived home uh, with a sign, and it just says, slow, you know, one of the stop-go signs. So that sits in my garden. <clears throat> As a reminder, just to slow down. There we go. <laughs> so, where were we? Quick. Um, so, David Livingston, you know, he went so far into the interior of Central Africa that they lost contact with him for six years. They didn't know what was going on. There were rumours coming out that he had died. But another rumour saying, oh, no, he's still alive. He's out there somewhere. So, a newspaper at the time, the New York Herald, sent a reporter, Henry Stanley, you may have heard of, and he was sent to track him down. Two years of searching around Africa, Henry Stanley, finally on the shores of Lake something or other in the middle of Whoop Whoop, it's got a new name now, was the colony of Whoop Whoop, probably a German or French or English colony, but now it's um, Whoop Whoop Zenaya or some, you know, uh, African proper noun. Um, he came across... David Livingston, and of course, apparently famously said, Dr. Livingston, I presume, being, of course, the only other white man for hundreds, if not thousands of miles away. You know, Stanley spent time with Livingston because they explored together for some months. He said later, if I had been with him any longer, I would have been compelled to become a Christian, and yet he never spoke to me about his faith at all. <laughs> so that's a real authentic Christian lifestyle. That, that, that bears witness to Jesus just working in his life. Uh, so that's, you know, a, a witness has to have the story in them, then that's all we have to be, just authentic relationship with God. But secondly, a witness does have to speak because, you know, a Christian lifestyle is a good foundation. David Livingston had something to say in his lifestyle, but it, but it still undergirds a verbal witness that really does help. Because not everything is communicated non-verbally. Uh, and just as an aside, you may have heard that little quote, um, preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words, attributed to St Francis of Assisi. There's no literary or historical record that he ever said that. It's just a cute quote that people like to use. And it's a little off, really, because it sort of implies that you really don't have to say anything. But we should be prepared to say something. So on one hand, yes, maybe sometimes there's nothing that needs to be said. David Livingston just lived his Christian life. But we should also be prepared to speak up, yeah? And the Bible says that, First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. There's a good start. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So that's... A good qualifier there. Maybe not always, you know, bashing people or I don't think we've got a soapbox problem uh, around here. You know, some people have been very zealous, but sometimes, uh, I mean, we did have a wonderful uh, young man in our church for a number of years, quite an evangelist. We had a couple who joined the church and they were interested in the Lord. I think they'd grown up in Christian faith, but they had drifted away, but they were living together, but they came to church together. And, uh, and as soon as he found out they were living together, he just said the classic, 
oh, you're living in sin, we need to sort that out. Uh, you know, and that sort of rattled their cage and so we had to call off the dogs and, and someone else came in with a heart of compassion and sort of worked them through that kind of whole thing of, you know, how. and then they ended up getting married and so it was wonderful. But, uh, yeah, so we have to be uh, compassionate and, and careful um, and here he says with gentleness and respect but still bold, yeah, and still verbal because... A witness, like in a court, for example, they can't just stand there and sort of lift their eyebrows when they're asked, what about the crime that you apparently saw? Well, you know, they're going to say, well, this is what I know. This is what I saw. They've got a, uh, in fact, this is the best part of witnessing. I hate it when I share something about my faith and people go, oh, that's nice. And then they just change the subject. You know that? You've had it? You've never happened to you. I have, that, I have that happen too often. I, I want them to engage. I'd be happy to have a curly question thrown at me. And it's great when that comes back. Uh, and, and so, again, like in, in court, uh, you know, a witness uh, has to answer questions. And sometimes they might get grilled by a barrister. We've all seen the courtroom drama movies. Uh, but notice they don't have to convince the barrister of anything. They don't have to prove anything. To the barrister, they don't have to make the barrister believe what they say. Is that's totally on the barrister. All they got to do is say what they've seen. This is what I know. That's that's again. All you got to do is tell your story, and the judge, the jury, the others, or whatever, they get to decide for themselves. Yeah. So we don't have to coerce and compel and cajole people into kind of coming over to our camp and believing what we believe and give up all their worldview ideas for years and years and just we just got to share our story yeah and and uh and of course again god's done something in our lives that's all we're in, uh, asked to do to be a witness to what god's done and and then you know show them perhaps what the word of god says that helps like the roman road of salvation invite them to church they get to see and hear and experience a bit more of what the christian faith looks like but it's up to them um and of course, when you watch some of these courtroom dramas, you can see the, com the questioning sometimes gets very combative and the emotions are flying and uh, lawyers will you know, put them on the spot and witnesses can get under pressure and find it all very emotionally taxing, which gets on to another aspect of witnessing, which is that a witness is willing to pay a price because they can get opposition. Uh, you know, whistleblowers, uh, you know, white collar crime, corporate dramas, sometimes a whistleblower in a, in a big financial institution or something, they'll get sacked or they'll find it, and they'll find it hard to get work somewhere else. And then, uh, you know, they get exonerated perhaps because it all comes out that what they said was true. And, and uh, you know, in the meantime, they might have been cut off from their workmates and, and even threatened in some ways. And the early disciples faced serious persecution for their witness. witness um, but they just loved it. Remember, uh, what's his name? Get smart, you know, and they're and loving it. You know, if this, you can just lean into what others might run away from uh, if it's good, if it's right. Uh, look at uh, Acts five verse forty-one. The apostles were drawn, before, were dragged before the um, the Jewish council, and it says um, they left rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? But sadly, some people might 
It, it could easily have read, they left with their tail between their legs, compromising their faith and determining that they'll never speak up for Jesus again. But you just keep the, keep the keel level and uh, keep everybody happy and uh, maintain their friends with everybody. And they felt guilty for the rest of their lives, but at least they didn't lose face in society and had some nice friends. You know, well, we don't want to hear that. Better than to be disgraced and, you know, going out with a blaze of glory or a sword lopping off their head or however they died because most, in fact, all but one, you know, <laughs> were, were martyred for their faith. Which, incidentally, I'm jumping through to my notes somewhere else here, the word for witness in the Greek is martus, from which we get the word martyr. That's how far it can go. Yeah. Are you keen? Yeah. How keen are you to be a witness? Well, that's all right. You're not going to Iran necessarily. Just stay here. You'll be fine. But, you know, there are some parts of the world that if you got up with your, your Christian witness, especially if you waved American flag, you know, or even an Aussie flag, if you're like, I'm an Aussie Christian, you know, then, but most of the time in our society, you're probably not going to get martyred tomorrow at the office around the water cooler, you know, if you share your faith. But that's how, that's how offensive the message has come across to people at different times, that they've they've caused such an offence. And Paul talks about that in Galatians. He talks about the offence of the gospel. And, and you might come across that sometimes, that not everybody is really leaning into, yeah, I want to hear more. But if there's an edge to it, that's, that's not bad. That's okay. That's just truth. And people can get offended with the truth. Because the gospel isn't, hey, God loves you so much, he wants you to stay the way you are, keep doing whatever you like, and he's just going to run around after you and bless you like Santa Claus. That's not the gospel, is it? God loves you so much, he wants to bring radical change into your life that starts with you humbling yourself before the foot of the cross and admitting that you're a sinner. Well, that's not a comfortable truth, but it's great. It, it's, it's leading to the answer, isn't it? Starting with the problem. It's like you want the good news or the bad news. The bad news is you're a sinner. Romans 3.23, all of sin. But the good news is Jesus has a way to deal with our sin. And so... We don't want to dress up the gospel in a way that isn't true. Uh, we, we want to bring it clearly, but with compassion. It's just not a beige, innocuous gospel, is it? It's a strong, compelling, life-changing message and nothing we should be afraid of. It just causes a reaction sometimes. And those reactions were experienced. Like I said, the apostles um, experienced it. Uh, look what uh, Jesus had promised them. They were probably aware of these words that they were remembering, uh, you know, when they were drawn before the high council. Matthew later recorded them. Matthew 10 verse 22, Jesus had said to them, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So, you know, if you ever get a sense that someone hates you and it's certainly linked to your Christian faith, well, just accept that. And be blessed because Jesus has promised that. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't run from that, like I said. In fact, you could go so far to say if you never face any opposition from anyone ever, if you have no difficulties in life, maybe the devil's just given up because you're no threat and you're not just causing any grief. And so it's okay when, when you know, drama comes and maybe not everyone's super happy with you. Um, of course, we live as best we can to be at peace with people. 
Uh, and of course, as the church grew, there was more persecution, constant part of the Christian life, as Paul found. Uh, he addresses it in his letters. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So there you go. So again, just, just I know it's gone very quiet here. So yeah, aren't you glad you came to church today? Come on. Woohoo! Persecution. But, uh, you know, it's, it's part of the package and it's probably not going to lead to martyrdom. So, you know, just that's okay. Um, so who are we called to witness to? Uh, because for those guys, you know, the, the martyrdom and the persecution, God turns all things together for good, doesn't he? Because you know the story. They, persecution hit the church so hard, there was this first spreading out of the faith, the diaspora. How do you pronounce that properly, Martin? Diaspora, you know, and this has happened at different times when there's persecution. It disperses the believers beyond their location beyond their comfort zone and so what happened in that was just fulfilling that prophetic proclamation that Jesus had given them about you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem but also in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth ever increasing circles of influence geographical locations and so that need, leads to us thinking well what about me who who am I called to be a witness to or where are we to be witnesses well, what's your Jerusalem? Your Jerusalem is, of course, your local area, your neighbourhood, your home, your workplace, your family environment, your school, your university. Our Judea is further afield because that's what Jesus was referring to for them. So maybe where your work takes you or where God leads you to be involved beyond your normal zone comfort zone geographical zone like our ministry uh, trips for the young people they go out to Lake Kajeligo out in central western New South Wales and then Samaria well of course that was further geographically but also very culturally different because you know the Samarians the, the Samaritans I should say uh, were the remnants of the northern tribes of Israel that weren't those pure blooded Jewish as the Judean Christian, sorry, Judean Jewish people that were part of the tribe of Judah further south around Jerusalem. And so um, that's why it was a big shock, you know, the woman at the well, she was a Samaritan, the good Samaritan story. Jesus, there's a point of the Samaritans popping up in the Gospels as being people who were culturally distant from the Jewish people. Uh, and so this might mean for us someone of a different ethnicity, in maybe a different area or maybe because of, you know, refugees, our immigration, you know, opening up. We've got people coming into our world or you're going into their world, maybe to a nursing home or into a hospital or into a different age bracket of people that you'd normally hang out with. And then, of course, he said, Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and beyond to the ends of the earth. Well, as you know, Ruth and I are missionaries in Russia. We've continued that ministry over the years. Praise God, we had a great missions team, a trip, I should say, in 2019. Who knows if we'll ever get there again, but it was fruitful and we've been going back every few years for the last 25 or so, 30, I can't remember, it's a long, uh, is it 30 years, nearly 30 years. Uh, and then, of course, we've got ministry in Thailand, Vietnam, but in other parts of the world too you know Byron uh, many years uh, has taken teams to Mexico uh, Eddie and Sudi of course have connections in uh, Bali um, 
and uh, we're looking uh, through Pastor Gail at exploring that and seeing how we can support her and perhaps have some of yous go, uh, you know, to, um, on, a, on a trip to, uh, to Bali. Not just to lie on the beach, but to, you know, be uh, involved in uh, supporting missions, ventures over there. So we'll explore that more next year. So finally, how to be a witness. Uh, how are we going to fulfil this calling? How do we go about obeying the Great Commission rather than just making it the great omission, which sadly occurs sometimes. Uh, well, we just want to come back to that issue of the heart, like that first verse I looked at. Uh, it's not about technique, is it? It's about a, a heart of compassion for people that we'll only ever get if our heart is close to the Lord uh, because his heart touching our heart, his heart in us, that new heart that he promises. Uh, and... Jesus also, you know, commanded these guys to wait because in waiting on God, waiting for the Holy Spirit, waiting for his power, his anointing, that's all part of our journey, isn't it? That, like I was saying and joking about slowing down. It helps not to guzzle. You know, before we go, before we do, we have to sometimes wait. We sometimes have to just be. And, of course, waiting on God is never wasted time. Praying, it doesn't matter how long you pray. If you think, I haven't got much time to pray, it's okay. Whatever time you put into that prayer closet, it's going to get redeemed. You know, more than just, oh, quick, quick, God bless me. I've got to, I've got to. You'd be amazed how your day pans out better when you've spent time in the presence of God. And then we're... We're, we're sensing his heart, his love for other people, rather than just, oh, thanks God, blessing me, and off I go, thinking of myself and what I've got to achieve, you know. And you come out being with the Lord, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a good experience, and, uh, and we carry that heart for other people. And, uh, and that's why he said to wait, but of course the principle for us is also wait, waiting on him. And again, I want to encourage you to get, um, I point to the empty chair as if he's left us, poor Byron. Such a good man. He's out with the kids, but he often is there. So Byron's message last week, because he, he looked at that passage as well and talked about waiting. And he also talked about uh, the unity that they had, a heart not just touched by God and a heart for God, but a heart with other people. Because uh, it said in another passage in that early part of the book of Acts, they were of one mind, they were of one heart, they were in unity together. And so we do the same. We, um, we want to be in one accord, as one version says, uh, overlooking each other's faults, walking with grace, forgiveness towards each other, loving the bride of Christ, his church for all its, you know, blemishes, enjoying life together, yeah? And then, of course, inviting people to consider what the Christian life is all about and it's better together. And that's why we, we, we try and build a community yeah, that people can experience love, faith, hope. Amen? Praise him. So let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you. Wow, hallowed be your name. We worship you today. Again, we lift you up, look to you, bless you, love you, want to follow you. And we thank you for the, the privilege of being your Witnesses, representatives, ambassadors carrying what a great life-changing message that we get to carry and share and we pray for opportunities to come 
doors that open, help us to walk through them with clarity, conviction and compassion. Holy Spirit, touch us. You know, today I don't want you to leave here without an opportunity to to give your life to Christ if you need to. If you've either never given your life to God, laid it down, or perhaps you're coming back to Him as a, a recommitment of your life. That's, you know, the essence of the Christian faith. It's not a list of rules. It's not being a nice person. It's not attending church. It's a relationship with God that's been opened up and offered to us through Jesus coming to earth. But the onus is on us to respond, to say, yes, Jesus, forgive me, come into my heart. And so if you want to pray a prayer like that, a very simple prayer, I'll lead you in that prayer straight after the service. Come and see me. Maybe if someone's brought you to church, they'll bring you. Or you can talk to someone about what it really looks like to follow Jesus and to have that relationship with God. A very simple prayer of commitment. It's all that's required to get you on that journey. What a great journey it is. What a great life. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your touch on everyone here today. Again, all the children, all the different families going in different directions, but all walking with your touch, the call of God, the blessing of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit on our lives to live for you. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.